This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. In the year 325, the church was in a big, hot mess. 325 A.D., in the church, which basically encompassed all the Mediterranean, was dividing. The reason was an understanding of Jesus Christ. There was a bishop in the city of Alexandria, his name was Arius, who began to teach what he believed that Jesus, the great, wonderful, powerful, was not God. Highly influenced by many of the myths. Think of Hercules and Achilles that rose up out of the Greek culture. It was Aries' understanding as he understood the message of God that Jesus was great and certainly wonderful, did great things, but he was the first of God's creation. They began to write songs about this, to celebrate this in churches, and it began to highly influence the greater church. There was another bishop in Alexandria named Alexander, Alexander the Alexandrian, and he'd had enough of it. And he began to in a very robust way, confront this teaching about how, who Jesus was because Alexander recognized that who Jesus is and our belief of Jesus, well, that's what the church hangs on. Constantine, who was the emperor at the time, said, we need to get this nailed down. We need to decide. We need an understanding, a consensus. So he called a council and bishops and overseers, pastors, elders, deacons from the whole church all over the Mediterranean gathered in a place called Nicaea to discern and decide and to make a proclamation. Who is Jesus Christ? What does the church believe? It got very intense, almost violent at times, as great arguments would break out in these meetings. Who is Jesus? It's even said, and it might be legend, it's hard to know for sure, Another pastor who lived in that area, a bishop, was at this conference, and he was so irate, he walked up to Arius and punched him in the face. That bishop's name was Nicholas. You might know him as St. Nicholas, because that's how Santa rolls. Whether or not he was actually there, it's very possible. He, that's the area where he had churches and he pastored. But you can understand how heated the discussions got because everyone understood this is the center. This is what it's all about. The church came to consensus, clearly articulating that, yes, Jesus is fully God. Alexander, who was so central to all this, passed away shortly after this council. But one of his assistants, a deacon who was there, his name was Athanasius, stepped into and served in Alexander's place in Alexandria. And he was, called Ale he was called Athanasius Contender. Because despite of all the persecution that would come against him, 
the fights that would come against him and abuse that he would experience, he stood strong, proclaiming, writing about Jesus is God. Because he knew that if the church loses sight of this, the church will be lost. The church will lose its way. Do you know what it's like to be lost? You ever experienced what it means to not know where you are? How you get your bearing back? That's why it's been so important for 2,000 years of church history that we hold on to certain things and proclaim certain things together. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. And today, Add to that just a little bit more. We understand that what we're teaching and what we're saying isn't a replacement for reading the gospel. Okay? We should be immersing ourselves in the gospel, in scripture. But what the creed offers is a guide to reading gospel correctly and not misreading gospel, misreading the story. And this is also what I understand. What I am teaching on this morning can be perceived as very, very boring. Right? This is theology. This is, this can be kind of dry. This is, this is not like fun stuff. I get nerdy about it. I geek on it. I think it's awesome. I, I love it. I love it. But it's kind of like a mechanic who gets excited about talking about the inner workings of an engine. You don't care. I just want the car to go. Does the car go? I want the car to go. Yeah, the car goes, but let me tell you. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear about how the engine works. Is it working? Yeah, it's working. Let me tell you. No, 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 no. Does the car go? Yeah, it goes. Okay, then you're good. It's my encouragement to you. You want to understand these core tenets, what Scripture calls the faith that holds your faith. If you haven't been able to be with us, we've been breaking down this creed. And let, let's, let's remember and maybe say together what we've been learning. It's in your notes. It's at the top of your message guide. Let's read it together. Nikki's going to have it up. And we'll read it together. Just so you get familiar with the words. This is what faith rests on, stands on. This is the, the compass by which we're guided and we don't get lost. Read it with me. I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Awesome. That's how far we've gotten in the last couple weeks. Let's, let's say it again, but let's be mindful as we say this, that we're saying it with our community, with our fellowship together. Hear all the voices coming together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Good. Nikki, do something for you. Take that slide out of there. Let's say it together. Without looking at the sheet. But, 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 I didn't grow up. In, that's okay. Let's just see what you can do. Ready? I believe in God the Father, Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. Yeah. Could you imagine if this is the faith by which we stay on path? 
what might happen if we lose sight of those things? What if we didn't know them, share them, say them? So as we go through this teaching this morning, I want you to have a relationship in the back of your mind. Maybe it's a husband and wife. Maybe it's a brother and a sister. Maybe it's a parent and child. But all relationships can fall off the path, can't they? All friendships can lose their way. What we understand is holding on to what we're going to look at keeps us on that path and how it can keep relationships true. Maybe you have someone in the back of your heart and your mind that we can reflect on as we apply these things today. As we step on the path of Jesus' life, today we're going to look at from womb to tomb, okay? In the life of Jesus Christ. Take out your Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 1 with me. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. There's Bibles located in the seats in front of you. Nikki will have verses up on the screen at some times. Some verses I just kind of fly through and you can write them down and meditate on them later. But Matthew chapter 1, the beginning of one of the gospel accounts by Matthew. We're going to focus in on verse 20. I'm going to start reading in verse 18. We have... Christmas and Advent in the back of our minds. These will be familiar words. Matthew 1. I'm going to start in verse 18. You focus in on verse 20. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Stop. Betrothal is not engagement. Betrothal is marriage in this culture. Marriage minus living together. Marriage minus sleeping together. But all intents and purposes... In this culture, these two are married. Okay? Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What's that phrase? Conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Let me keep reading out. Just going to read to the bottom of the section. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Talked about that last week. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel. What do we believe about uh, Jesus Christ? What's core to that faith? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Let's write that down. Everyone write that down. That's something to remember. That'll keep you on the path. Keep relationships on their path. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. I before E, except after C. To talk about the Holy Spirit, that Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit, is to focus in on new life. The Holy Spirit is the, bring, bring, the bringer of new creation. 
From the beginning of Scripture, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, we see the Spirit of God hovering over the dark waters of chaos. It's through the Holy Spirit that life comes, that we are created. Read about this in the Psalms. Your breath, your spirit gives us life. So to hear that Jesus and to hold that Jesus is conceived by the Spirit is to recognize that this is the bringer of life. Fully, completely. The bearer of life and new creation. Maybe you know the story in Matthew chapter 9. Here's a woman who's had this bloody hemorrhage most of her life. She's gone to doctor after doctor after doctor. No one can do anything. She spent all that she had on trying to find healing. To lose blood is to lose life. Blood is life. Which means she's every day moving closer towards death. But she believes that there's something about Jesus Christ. And she goes, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, she reaches up. And in that moment, healed. But did you notice Jesus' response? Whoa, someone touched me. I felt power go out of me. Spirit power, life-giving, new creating power. Because Jesus was the bearer of new creation. The bringer of new life. And we see him interacting and doing that throughout his entire ministry. But not just the bearer of life, he's the sender of the Holy Spirit. He said that to his apostles. Hey, wait, I'm sending you my spirit. And so Acts, what do we see the church doing? Engaging, growing the kingdom. How? Through the spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Doing what? Bringing new creation, new life. What does that mean for our, our couple? Maybe it's brother and sister. Maybe it's husband and wife. Maybe it's parent child. Maybe it's two friends. To know that on the path of Jesus is the path of new creation. It's the path of life. To step off that path is to step towards death. To come to Jesus is to come to hope. Conceived by the Holy Spirit. But you can see in Matthew, there's another relationship at play. Born of the Virgin Mary. Let's write that down together. It's important to say conceived by the Holy Spirit, but also important to say born of the Virgin Mary. What does that mean? Let me use an illustration. Because for many, when they hear born of the Virgin Mary, it feels out of place and doesn't make sense. It can feel quite alien. So imagine, if you will, that aliens come to Earth. We as humans have really screwed up the planet and we're, we're gone and they're doing an archaeological dig. And as they're digging up, they dig up a bicycle chain. Okay? A bicycle chain. They've never seen one before. They have no idea what it is. It's just a bicycle chain in the dirt. Is it a weapon? Did humans swing it around at each other? Was this a way that they kind of beat each other? No, no, it's a necklace. One puts it around them. It's a necklace. That's what it is. It's a necklace. Why can't they discern what the bicycle chain is? Because it's out of context. If you take the chain and you put it on the bike, oh, this is what makes the bike go. You have to understand born of the Virgin Mary within the context of Scripture. When God is about to do something, 
he heralds that by a miraculous birth. When the story is about to turn, God sends someone in a very wonderful, miraculous way. Thinking about the beginning of promise that came through Abraham and Sarah, the miraculous birth of Isaac. Here's two who cannot have a child. God says, you're going to bear a child. And that child is the child of promise because God's now going to do something. God's going to redeem. God is going to save. Think about the birth of Moses. Not the actual birth, but his salvation, his deliverance. As Egypt, this force of evil is killing all the infants. Moses' mother places the infant child upon the chaotic waters of the Nile and the child is delivered. Moses is going to set people free. Maybe you know about Samuel. Samuel, the great judge, one of the first great leaders. Mom, Hannah, could not have a kid, cried out to God. God miraculously helped her conceive. Samson, the warrior judge, miraculous birth. Moving to the New Testament, Zechariah and Elizabeth, old couple. You will conceive. John, who will become the herald of Jesus. When God is getting ready to turn the story, when God is getting ready to do something, he heralds it by this miraculous birth. But not just that. It's not just a new chapter in the story moving forward. It's a reminder that God brings something from nothing. God brings something from nothing. And don't miss the fact God was born. Born in carnay. Flesh. God entered the story. He became touchable, seeable, hearable, smellable. You could bump into him. He could put his hand on your shoulder. He could wrestle you to the ground. For Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. born of the Virgin Mary, God is doing something new now. And I can touch it, and I can see it, and I can be a part of it. I'm not forsaken or forgotten. God has come into my hot mess. God wants to be included in my hot mess. And then we put those two together, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Fully God, fully man. We're not gonna go crazy deep into this. Um, we'll all get lost. But let's not miss that fact. Two natures coming together as one. A pastor named Origen in the early years of the church tried to help us understand that as he watched blacksmith work with iron. You ever seen they take iron and put it deep into the hot coals and the billows blow upon it. It gets hot, hot, hot. And you take that iron out, it's glowing, flaming. If you were to reach up and grab that iron, would it feel like you're touching iron? It would feel like you're touching fire. In that moment, the fire and the iron have become one. To touch the iron is to touch the fire. To touch the fire is to touch the iron. So it was when you walked up to Jesus Christ. To touch the man was to touch God. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. There is new life. God has entered my story. Let's keep going. 
What's the best word that you would describe 2021? Horrible. Someone said garbage before. (laughs) What's your word? As you describe your 2021, what word comes to mind? Unpredictable. Gross. (laughs) Strange. 2020. What word? One word. Terrifying. What if we look forward? What word do you want to have describe 22? Hope. Peaceful. Calm. Predictable. (laughs) Nice. Kind. Gentle. Please, don't hurt me. (laughs) What one word would you use to describe the life of Jesus? What word? Promise? As you think, womb to tomb, what do we call, if we can only use one word, what do we call the gap? Well, for a long time, the early church used one word. And it was the word suffered. Did you know that? As they understood the life of Jesus, they said it was suffering. So in that third line, let's write down the word suffered. He suffered. It's conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered. Slash, and we'll get to the rest of that in a little bit. But let me make my case for you. Just a, a very brief survey going through some of the books of the New Testament. In John chapter 1, verse 11, Jesus talks about the word becoming flesh. That he came to his own and his own did not receive him. Apparently there's enough room in the world for everyone except God. He came to his own and his own resisted him, pushed him away. Do you know what that feels like? The end of Luke. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer and then be received into glory? In Acts 17, when Paul goes from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue, he teaches them about the suffering Christ. Hebrews chapter 2. Pastor is writing to a bunch of Jewish believers, calling them to maintain the faith, saying that he was tempted and he suffered in his life. So that when we're suffering, we can identify together. In 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter says, hey, he suffered. You're going to suffer. All of this fulfilling what the prophet said in Isaiah 53. How the suffering servant would be a man of sorrows. A man of sorrows. See, Christ entered the story and he created this collision point. This resistance with evil. Okay? Lucas, can you come here for a second? You're going to be Jesus. (laughs) I'll be evil. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Okay? Jesus enters the world. He is this agent of life change and healing and hope and love. That's why he came. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He is moving forward, bringing life and healing. Coming forward, right? So come forward. Okay, with your hands. Come on, lean into me. It's okay. But what's going to happen? Okay. He's going to bump into what? Evil and death and sadness and hardship. As he pushes forward, push. To heal, to help, to deliver. He is encountering hardship at every single turn. 
as his life moves against death, as his holiness shoves against despair. What does that feel like emotionally? What does that feel like mentally? Fully God, fully man. What does it feel like spiritually? Thank you. Did he go home at night tired? Did he go home at night sad? Worn out, stressed, strained, exhausted? A man of sorrows. Here's this thing. We, we're going through this creed and it's this awesomeness. It's, it's daisies and ponies and Brittany and it's a, God the Father and Jesus the Son and Holy Spirit, love, and, and Mary, virgin birth, suffered. Like, what? He suffered. A collision with reality. The declaration that this is the Jesus life. It was a life of suffering, a life of hardship and pain that he encountered at every single turn. And our participation in that life means what? you will experience suffering. As he suffered, you will suffer. You will collide with hopelessness and despair and pain. So if we have a couple, maybe it's a brother and a sister, and both of them willing to step off the path of life and to leave the other one behind. This is a life of suffering. And when Jesus suffered, he didn't, he didn't push away from the table he leaned into the hardship. He leaned into the pain because that's how the kingdom grows. Lean in. Lean in. Not pull back. Hardship is to be expected. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. Did you finish out that third line? I saw that last line. That third line continues. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. Karl Barth says this. He was a theologian in the 20th century. Pontius Pilate enters the creed like a wet dog into a nice room. Pontius Pilate steps into the creed like a dog into a nice room. How many of you have a dog? How many of you have a nice room? Not if you have a dog, right? A wet dog, a stinky dog, a dirty dog. Within the creed specifically, we have Jesus Christ and we have the Virgin Mary and then we have Pontius Pilate. Why Pontius Pilate? Well, what is he doing there? What's the purpose of Pontius Pilate being there in our declaration? Because our declaration is not a vain, empty philosophy. It's a historical fact. Salvation has a date, a time, a place. Archaeologists will tell you, you're not going to find no evidence of Jesus Christ. There's no archaeological evidence of a man named Jesus Christ. Why would that surprise us? Poor carpenter, born in Bethlehem, lived in Nazareth, died in Jerusalem, amongst millions of others. Yeah, and the whole scheme of things from a manly perspective, not a big footprint. Not a big footprint. But Pontius Pilate? That's a different story. We can date Pontius Pilate. Not just Pontius Pilate, the man. Pontius Pilate, the role, the governor, the force, the power. 
the rage, the war machine of Rome. Jesus colliding with that because God is facing opposition. This is a story of stress and strain, of mocking and hardship. That's the faith. That's what your faith stands on. And then contrast Jesus with Pontius Pilate. The grab for power, to be strong, to be recognized. And Jesus, to be humbling, servant, and sacrifice. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. And then the last line, right in with me, crucified. He was crucified. Crucified, died, and was buried. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Let's talk about crucified. What does that mean? Crucifixion was perfected by Rome. They mastered it. Most heinous, most painful means of execution. Not just because of the physical agony, but because of the public shame that came along with it. It wasn't just that this person was going to be executed. They were going to be transformed into a billboard that says, do not resist Rome. Do not push against this machine. This is a culture where it's all about honor and avoiding shame. And crucifixion was all about shame in the, in the midst of Rome. So if you don't understand how crucifixion functioned, the process, what that would look like, after your judgment, you were taken and the cross beam was placed on your shoulders. Okay, not the full cross, just the cross part. Okay, because the upright was permanently placed in the ground. Okay, it was permanently anchored in the ground. Then you were going to be hoisted up on that and the cross mounted. Okay, and so you are going to carry this cross beam, the very means of your own death, shamefully through town as you're being mocked and ridiculed, spit on, kicked, scourged, whatever they might want to do to you. Till you get to the point of the actual nailing and binding. First, you are stripped completely naked because this is about publicly shaming you. All the images that you have of Jesus' crucifixion with his little terry cloth on, those are niceties. He was naked. He was then laid down upon that cross beam. And there were a few options. They might just lash your arm to the beam and then hoist you up and put you into place. Or they might take long nails and nail you, literally, to the beam. Right here, where there's this beautiful nerve bundle that goes through the joint. Severing. Sending your arm screaming with fire. Or they might do both. Nail you and bind you. Because sometimes this could tear out and they don't want you falling off the cross. Okay? You're then hoisted up into place. You're dangling until they take your feet and slide your feet up a little bit on the beam. Maybe onto a little rest. 
and then they nail perhaps through the tops of your feet or through your ankles to secure your feet. Imagine the pain. But you see, that's not what kills you. It's the process of having to breathe that kills you. Because your body wants to sag. And as it sags, it compresses on your rib cage, limiting the amount of oxygen that you can draw into your lungs. So if you need a good deep breath, what you have to do is you have to push up off your feet so that your rib cage can then fully expand and you can draw an oxygen. But to breathe, you're going to have to push down off that bolt. Sending pain surging through your body. Jesus died because he couldn't breathe. People crucified die because they can't breathe. Healthy people might last over a week. Some might die in a few hours. Naked, mocked, shamed. Crucified. This is, this is a, a big deal. God presses into this. Because this is for slaves and criminals. You had to really do something to be crucified. Most people just, just cut their head off or spear them. But to become a billboard of Rome's wrath, that God turned into a billboard of God's love. This is why in, in Philippians chapter 5, when the Apostle Paul is making this amazing declaration of love, talking about how Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, then he adds this phrase, even death on a cross. Because this was a death for everybody. It had to cover slaves. It had to cover the criminals. And then let this same mind be in you, he says in Philippians chapter 2. So if I think about the relationship, these two that want to step off the path, maybe it's a husband and wife. The center of what I believe is the crucifixion of Jesus. And it calls for my similar humility. I am to humble myself. I'm going to take the hit. I have to endure. Because that's what it takes to hold on to people. Hold on to him. So Jesus says to hold on to you, I have to be nailed. Crucified. Died and was buried. The unity with Jesus Christ is central to our faith. That what Jesus endured, I endured. So that what I endured, Jesus can take upon himself. For he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Understand the exchange. He entered into our sinfulness and became that sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He died so I can live. That's what's central when we say died and was buried. Okay? What, is that? what does it mean when he died? We talk about it in two broad ways. If I die, I will die. Some people say, I was sad. Well, this life was gone. What happened when Jesus died? That's the question. What happened when he died? A couple important things. Okay? 
Maybe off to the side of your notes, you want to write this down. One sacrifice. There was sacrifice. Jesus' death and burial was a sacrifice. Mark 10. He gave his life as a ransom for many. All the images of the Old Testament behind us, of animals being sent to the altar and being sacrificed to remove sin. There's something about Jesus' death and his burial that becomes a sacrifice on my behalf for my sin and for my death. Sacrifice. But that sacrifice is also victory. Victory. Write down the word victory. Christus Victor. That he triumphed over evil and death and sin. But we saw him in his life battling against and resisting and pushing and advancing the kingdom. There is this moment in his death where victory is claimed. Where, O oh, death, is your sting? One, it is death. It shouldn't surprise us. All throughout the Old Testament, even in the very beginning, when we enter, when we become a part and we create the hot mess. Adam and Eve in the garden, the promise of God's deliverance, and one will come up who will step on and snuff out the serpent. He will be victorious. I was just reading through some of the Psalms this morning. These are the Psalms I like to read on Sunday morning. And just because knowing what I was talking about, overwhelmed by how many times God is described as the victor, the one who is victorious, will be victorious. You can see these two things come together in a story. In 2008, Clint Eastwood uh, made a movie called Gran Torino. Such a good movie, right? It's the story of a, a Ford factory worker named Walt. His wife dies. And he's living in a community that's being filled up uh, with Hmong Asian Americans. He's very bitter, he's very angry. And this family moves in next door to him. The son, the sister named Sue. A lot of gang influence, prevalence of evil, inviting the boy to participate in the gang. But to be in the gang, he has to go steal Walt's Grand Torino in the garage. Walt hears him in the garage, goes out to confront him with shotgun in hand. Walt trips and falls. Tao's able to get away. But throughout the course of the story, they kind of befriend each other. And Walt commits to helping any way that he can, helping this young man become a man, getting him a construction job, giving him tools. Gang's not going to let go. Evil does not let go. Not at all. They confront Tao in an alley, break his tools. One moment they go and they shoot up his house, abduct his sister, rape her. Tao's natural response is what? Bullet for bullet. Hate for hate, death for death. Walt says, we'll take care of this. So in a moment, towards the end of the movie, Walt locks Tao in the basement and he's going to go take care of this himself. How do you triumph over evil? How do you do that? 
Walt goes up to the house where the gang is, full of, they know Walt. They're ready to take care of Walt. And he starts to publicly taunt them, mocks them in front of the whole community. This verbal berating. And they all start to come out. They're coming. They're hanging out of the window. They're hanging out of the porch. They're hanging out on the front porch. And they're holding their guns and they're holding their machine guns. And they have them bearing down on Walt. And he continues to berate them. And he continues to insult them in front of all to see. As he pretends to have a gun in his hand. He reaches, he grabs a cigarette. Anyone have a light? Anyone have a light? I have a light. He reaches into his coat. And they mow him down. Bullet upon bullet upon bullet, riddling his body until he falls back. The camera pans up. He's lying in the shape of a cross. And in his hand was a lighter, not a gun. Because victory comes through sacrifice. Because of the public display, the public murder, the police are able to come, take the whole gang away. The last scene of the movie Taoiseach driving off in the Grand Torino that Walt gave him in his will. What became the point of their battle became a celebration of love. Died, buried, victory so that I could go free. It means we die differently as followers of Jesus. We live differently. We die. We just die differently. We celebrate when one of us passes. We understand the presence of death in our story. Because it's a part of his story. And to stay on the path means I embrace that. I embrace that there must be sacrifice for there to be victory. There must be a crown. But the crown comes after the cross. Not before the cross. Or in place of the cross. A good friend of mine said, it's death within a marriage that prevents the death of a marriage. As I die to self. It's death within a friendship that prevents the death of a friendship. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Next week we'll, we'll pick up after the tomb. But before we do that, and before the artists come up, a creed, any creed, in the early church and ancient part of the world was sometimes called a symbolon, where we get the word symbol. A symbolon was sometimes a clay talus or a plate. Let's say that I had come into an agreement with 
uh, a money lender. And the sign of the contract was this clay plate that was broken half. They kept half, I kept half. So when the relationship has to come back together so that one can recognize the authenticity of the other one, the plate's brought back together. The pieces fit back together again perfectly. The creed is called a symbol on. In that as you declare it and as I declare it, and as we declare it together, we recognize our pieces, we are one. This is what makes us one. What we believe. I was given a great gift last week. And those who participated in the giving probably didn't even realize that they were doing it. I had a woman come up from the Catholic faith, goes to church here. Thank you for the service. It really ministered to me. It reminded me of where I come from, referencing her Catholic faith. A Lutheran came up to me. She said, thank you. Thank you for reminding me of things that I learned as she referenced her Lutheran, her Lutheran faith. A German Baptist came up to me referencing her German Baptist faith. She said, thank you. Thank you for what you're teaching me. It reminded me of my heritage. Dude, that's like a hat trick for me, man. I got a Catholic, a Baptist, and a Lutheran all in one morning. But then later, I got a note from a Methodist referencing the Methodist faith. Thank you for what you're teaching me. Because it's this that makes us one. It is this that we're fighting for here. This is what House on the Rock is. Today is our six-year anniversary. We have cupcakes. I'm Baptist. That's how that works. <laughs> we eat. <laughs> but that's what House on the Rock is. That you from your Catholic heritage and you from your Lutheran heritage or your Methodist heritage or your no heritage whatsoever, you just recognize I'm a hot mess and I think Jesus is going to help. Can come here and anchor yourself upon the path that holds on to God who is Father. Jesus, God's only Son and the Holy Spirit. Are there other aspects to confessions? Sure. Are there other commitments that you might keep? Sure. But here, this is what we hold on to. This is what makes us one. Artist, would you come up? What do these things mean for you? It should be hope. It should be new life. It should be direction. It should be commitment. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. And may our relationships manifest that exact same truth.
as we, the body of Christ, find resistance, yes, in a broken world, but lean into that resistance and share the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.